the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Actors, not available at all. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today, from Philip DeCourcy on Know the Truth. You want to have a more meaningful worship experience? You want to bring a greater pleasure to the heart of God? Then turn from that which he hates. Our worship of God cannot rise to him as sweet-smelling incense while we seek to hide a smoldering disobedience. If you and I are to ascend the hill of the Lord, we've got to do it with clean hands and a pure heart. Have you ever thought about God's reason for creating the church? Some say that the church's main purpose is to evangelize. Others see the church as a place to provide fellowship. Still others focus on worship as the church's primary task. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy makes the case that our first priority as followers of Jesus should be to give God glory. And it's important we pay close attention to biblical instructions about worship. In Ecclesiastes 5, here's Philip DeCourcy's message, Watch Your Step. In his book, God in the Dock, author C.S. Lewis says, You can't get second things by putting them first. You can only get second things by putting first things first. There's a lot of wisdom in that. And C.S. Lewis is pointing out the fact that it's our job to keep the main thing the main thing. That is everything in life. You and I must not forget that when we try to make something more than it is, we actually make it less than it could be. And so the prioritized life, paradoxically, is the fuller and freer life. One of the secrets of life is to do the things you ought to do in the order of their importance. So we're constantly working at keeping our priorities straight, are we not? And misplaced priorities, second things becoming first things, can also become a problem in the church. That may I touch on an issue I think illustrates this fact. It's often been said that the church's number one calling and preeminent responsibility is evangelism. The church's first business is to win people to Jesus Christ. Evangelism is a cause against which there is no argument. I want to carefully say that's not true because I don't want to be misunderstood. Evangelism is such an important issue. Jesus Christ commissioned us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That should be a passion. That should be a priority. But worship and not evangelism is to be the church's first priority, its first passion. And I say that for several reasons. Number one, 
Evangelism falls under the banner of our duty to our neighbor, while worship falls under the thought of our duty towards God. And naturally, our duty to God takes precedence over our duty to man. That's why Jesus said in the Gospels, didn't he, that loving God with all your strength, with all your might, with all your mind, is the first and greatest commandment, and the second, to love your neighbor. Worship and not evangelism is the church's number one purpose. Secondly, because although all of us are expected to share our faith with others as the doors of opportunity present themselves, and I hope you and I are engaged in that business of bringing the light of Jesus Christ to a dark world, it's interesting to read that evangelism is also a spiritual gift given not to all, but a few. In fact, Ephesians 4 recognizes the office of evangelist, an office to which only certain men are called. So you and I can deduce from this that Christians are all worshipers, but only some are evangelists in the strictest sense of the word. And there is a gifting in the area of evangelism that's not the experience of all Christians. All Christians must evangelize, but only some can become evangelists. And I just think there's a distinction there that helps us see that worship and not evangelism is the church's number one passion because it is our duty towards God and it is something that we can all equally be involved in. It's a level playing field. Thirdly, evangelism is a temporary activity. It will cease when the full number of the elect are gathered into Christ's eternal kingdom. But worship toward the God who has saved us in time will echo out into eternity. Listen to the words of John Piper. Love this quote in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. It's a good thought. And so we see here that worship is a matter of great and grave importance. It's the church's first passion, first priority, first purpose. In fact, we evangelize as an act of worship. And we evangelize to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ so that the number of the worshiping throng before the face of God increases. Worship is a matter of great and grave importance. It's the first thing we should do in all that we do. Okay, it's the bedrock of everything we do and attempt. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31, whether you eat or drink and then this catch-all phrase, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. So whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. The first thing you ought to do in everything you do is set out to worship God and reflect His glory and bear His image in the midst of all your activity. I think you're getting the weightiness of worship, aren't you? It's priority. Worship is something that we will do forever. And therefore, you can't give yourself to something more important than that which will outlast your life. Worship is that thing. 
The worship of God is the most momentous, urgent, and glorious action that can take place within a human life, for it is the reason for human life. We were created for his pleasure. Revelation 4 verse 11. And in Romans 11 verse 36, we read that everything was created by God for God. In fact, this very book, Ecclesiastes, will finish in chapter 12 and verse 13 with these words. This is the conclusion of the matter. This is the big takeaway. Fear God, for in this man finds his wholeness. This is the very reason you were born. Life under the sun must be connected to life above the sun. So do yourself a favor and start worshiping God. That's where true life and joy and purpose and satisfaction is found. Now, all that said by way of introduction, that brings us back here to Ecclesiastes 5 and why we put the brakes on and we're going to dig deep into these seven verses because Solomon addresses the issue of worship. And there's nothing more important. And he sees things that are missing in the life of the nation of Israel with regards to its worship of God. Their worship of God is hurried and ill thought out. Their worship of God is lacking a captivating vision of God. Their worship of God is divorced from life. They were an angel on a Sunday, a devil on a Monday. And that's unacceptable. And so Solomon puts up a flare into the night sky and says, hey, walk prudently when you come to the house of God. No more of these, these religious shenanigans. Stop playing at church he says. That's a vain thing, okay? There's vanity in the marketplace. There's vanity in the halls of power. There's vanity in the university campus. He's, he's shown us that, and he says it shouldn't be found in the temple. It shouldn't be found in the house of God. And so, we've been looking at this passage under two big headings, the vices of improper worship and the virtues of proper worship. We identified one of the vices. Their worship lacked proper preparation. That's Solomon's first salvo across the bow of this worshiping congregation. He calls them to be more judicious, more prepared in their worship of God. They're, they're very quick to come into God's presence. They're very quick to talk to God and about God, and it all amounts to the sacrifice of fools. They're dishonoring God in the very attempt to honor God. And Solomon says, hey, you need to be more careful. You need to more properly prepare yourself when you come in to God's house. You need to remove your sandals from off your feet because the ground in which you stand is holy ground. There needs to be more reverence. And then secondly, there needs to be more intentionality. In fact, if you remember, we kind of drew this analogy to the pilot's pre-flight checklist, the things that he would go over in preparation before a flight and you and I need to go through a kind of pre-ordered checklist of things that will help our worship be more meaningful to us and, and more acceptable to God. Because their worship brought no pleasure to God. In chapter 5 and verse uh, 4, we read that God has no pleasure in fools. This tomfoolery that was going on in the temple had to stop. They needed to be more prepared. They needed to give themselves more fully and, and earlier to the whole issue of approaching God in public worship. In fact, you know, I thought about this just this week. 
Last year, as you know, I had the joy of going back to Ohio, invited by our friends there, Chuck and Billy Nicholson, who are season ticket holders at Ohio State University. And they, they offered us to come and go to a game with them. It was a great day. In fact, it wasn't a day. It was two days. Because here's the thing that struck me just thinking about it. The preparation for that thing started Friday night. We started talking about Ohio State, its history, its pageantry, its traditions, what there was looking to look forward to tomorrow. There was coats were out, hats were out. They were hanging all over the house, flags. He had an RV. He got out that night before. He, he cleaned the thing of all the bugs. He, he got it ready for our trip to Ohio State. Then it was a two-hour journey on the road. There was tailgating when we got there. We were there like three hours before the game. We were down there. We tailgated. We enjoyed all the games, the the camaraderie, the fellowship of fellow Buckeyes, you know, (laughs) the anticipation of beating the pants off Penn State. Before the day was done, we walked to the Buckeye Museum. We went over the great names of Buckeye lore. We got into the game an hour before. We bought a $10 um, program. We, we watched the band play, the famous dotting of the eye. We watched the public execution of two Michigan fans. No, no, that, that, that didn't happen. And, and that's all before the thing starts, and it's a three-hour game. And then I thought to myself, wow. And this guy does that every Saturday for the whole season. What passion, what love for Ohio State University. And I thought about my own family at times. We rush out the door. We, we scramble together on a Sunday morning to get to church. What about your family? We don't begin on a Saturday night, do we? We should. We ought to. Love God with all your strength, with all your might. We need to get something of this back. Walk prudently when you come to the house of God. You know, rest your body, clear your mind, get excited the night before that you're going to fellowship with those you're going to spend eternity with. We don't do this for a perishable crown. You know, we're not talking about the Heisman Trophy. We're not talking about the Big Ten title. We're not talking about the national championship. We're talking about the glory of God, the kingdom of God, crowns that will last forever. Why do we offer him the sacrifice of fools and we do things in in which he finds no pleasure? And so we went through this checklist. I'm going to wrap it up. Keep your heart through the week. Treasure the Lord's day. Prepare for Sunday morning, Saturday night. Here's two or three more. Turn your back on sin as you turn your face towards God. You want to have a more meaningful worship experience? You want to bring a greater pleasure to the heart of God? Then turn from that which he hates. His eyes cannot look upon iniquity. God dwells in unapproachable light. God is thrice holy. And according to Psalm 23, verses 3 to 6, if you and I are to ascend the hill of the Lord, we've got to do it with clean hands and a pure heart. We've got to get washed before we go to the service. Not just wash our hands and our face, but wash our souls in the washing of the water by the word of coming again to the cross and and asking God to um, cover our sins in the blood of Jesus Christ. John 1 verse 5 tells us that we're to confess our sins. That's written to believers. 
There's an idea going about today that Christians don't need to confess their sins. Nonsense. Our relationship with God is established. Our sins, you know, have been forgiven in Jesus Christ judicially. But that parental relationship between father and son, father and daughter, must be kept fresh and up to date. And you and I must confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We cannot worship God aright while at the same time loving that which he hates or doing that which he forbids. Our worship of God cannot rise to him as sweet-smelling incense while we seek to hide a smoldering disobedience. His confession, not to a human priest, but to the one great high priest, is that part of your regimen, preparation for worship? That you confess all known sin, that you keep short accounts with God so that you can climb the hill with clean hands and a pure heart. Bring your thought life into captivity to Christ through prayer and the reading of the Scripture. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 tells us to do that, doesn't it? And also 1 Peter 1 verse 13. In Peter's letter, we're told to gird up our minds. The idea here is of the long flowing tunic that was tucked in one's belt. As a man would run so that he didn't trip over his tunic, he would tuck his tunic in his belt. He would gird himself, his loins, as the old King James, gird up your loins. That's the picture. And it's the picture of stray thoughts. And you've got to bring all your thoughts and sent to them on the Lord Jesus Christ. Corinthians tells us to bring it all into captivity to him. We, we need to get onto God's wavelength. We need to be spending time with him every day so that we, when we come to his house with his people, the engine's already running, the conversation's ongoing, so we don't stutter in our worship of God or feel distant from him. I, I thought about an analogy of that, see if it doesn't connect. You know, it's, it's so easy for a husband and wife to drift apart, for life to pull them in all sorts of directions. And they've got to work at staying connected. They've got to talk every day. They've got to spend some time downloading what's on their hearts and on their minds. And that's why a date night, just as an isolated thing, won't work. I'm sure it's been your experience, you know. You're drifting apart. Life's getting busy between kids and work and whatever. And so you and your wife go out on a date night, but it's still cold. It's still strained. Why is that? Because, you know, one hour of conversation or two hours of conversation can't make up for six days of distance. To talk, you must talk. And I think sometimes that's what happens with you and me when it comes to the Lord's Day. We get drawn away by preoccupied with the things of the world and we get caught up in worldly talk and worldly thinking, the things of time and space. And then we think we can just connect on a Sunday morning, not even preparing on a Saturday night, and then engage God in a meaningful conversation. No, to talk, you have to talk. And that's why you and I must bring the thought life into captivity to the Lord Jesus Christ on a daily basis through prayer and the reading of his word. Here's another thought in the pre-worship checklist. Think of God. Okay, we just encourage you to do that. Bring your thought life into captivity to Christ through prayer and the reading of scripture. So think of God, but don't forget the devil. This is something we often overlook when it comes to worship, nothing bothers the devil more than watching God's people worship God. Now, 
This is a thought in and of itself. But if you read Isaiah 14, verse 11 following, and Ezekiel 28, verse 12 following, these are passages that describe the fall of Satan. And theologians speculate that Lucifer was the worship leader in heaven. They speculate on this because of certain descriptions of him that include musical ability connected to worship and leadership. And if that's true, in his fall, when he rose up against God, instead of directing worship to God, Satan diverted worship from God. That's his modus operandi. And he hates nothing more than times like this. When the people of God meet to exalt the name of Jesus Christ, who someday will put Satan under his heel. Satan hates our times of worship, and he's waiting for those opportunities to spoil them through hypocrisy, bitterness, unforgiveness, worldliness, casual Christianity. This pretentious, evil being hates it when he hears the name of God exalted. That's why, by the way, has it ever baffled you why it's only Christ's name that's taken in vain? Why not Muhammad? Why not some leader of a, another world religion? But it's Christ. He seeks to make the name of God and his son mud because he can't abide God receiving glory. Therefore, he will seek to disrupt your fellowship with God. Ephesians 4 verse 27 says, give no place to the devil. In fact, it's interesting in James 4, 7 through 8, we're told to draw near to God, and it involves what? Resisting the devil. Those two things go hand in hand. Think of God and don't forget the devil. Draw near to God and resist him because he's hard on your heels. He's trying to spoil your worship experience. He'll do anything, either through disobedience or through distraction, to draw you away from fully worshiping God. In fact, Jesus tells us that, doesn't he? In Matthew 13, verse 4, and Matthew 13, verse 19, the parable of the sower and the seed, a picture of the Word of God being distributed, and there's a picture of the seed falling on the ground and the birds coming down, eating the seed and snatching it away. And Jesus makes the application. That's what the devil does. He likes to take the word of God and nullify it. See, this is good for you, but be sure something or someone who may be used of Satan will try and rob you of what you enjoy today. My Satan's always at work inside and outside the service, distracting us, drawing us away from things holy. We need to guard against the enemy's attempt to distract us from worshiping God. A cautious reminder from Philip DeCourcy today on Know the Truth. It's the first part of a message in Ecclesiastes called Watch Your Step. Be sure to come back tomorrow for the remaining portion of today's study. And remember, you can also access these messages by visiting our website at ktt.org. It's easy to download these messages for listening on the go. To purchase the messages on CD, call us at 888-644-8811. Another way to listen to Philip's messages is on the KTT app or podcast. Using the app, you can even share messages with your friend on Facebook and Twitter or send Philip's messages to a close friend through a text message. These are a few convenient ways you can help others know the truth. Learn more at ktt.org. 
Now, at Know the Truth, it's our mission to share God's Word using every technological means possible, and we also make available monthly Bible study resources. And today, you won't want to miss getting a book that will prepare you for Easter. At this time of year, you may get questions about Jesus and His death and resurrection. Well, request this month's book titled The Resurrection and You by Josh and Sean McDowell. These two gifted apologists present the facts of the resurrection in a compact, pocket-sized resource that you can share with friends and co-workers. Ask for the booklet, The Resurrection and You, when you give $20 or more in support of the ministry of Know the Truth. Donate when you call 888-644-8811 or go to ktt.org. And if you prefer to send a check, write to us at Know the Truth. Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And thanks for remembering that Know the Truth relies on your generosity. That's all for today. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Tomorrow, Philip DeCourcy continues a study on worship. So join us then. Listen Wednesday to Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. WAVA. This is David Davenport of the Hoover Institution for townhall.com. While the rest of us enjoy basketball's March Madness, progressives are creating madness of their own. The latest is their proposal to pack the Supreme Court by adding new seats on the court for the next president to fill. This is clearly a political ploy to change the present 5-4 conservative makeup to a 6-5 liberal one. Writer Wynne McLaughlin said, maybe history wouldn't have to repeat itself if we listened once in a while. Obviously, progressives aren't tuned into history because the last time this was proposed by President Franklin Roosevelt in the 1930s, even his own party said no. Packing the court will become an endless project, with every new president in Congress tempted to change the makeup, and the court will become more polarized, not less. A far better reform would be term limits for justices. I'm David Davenport. The Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy, America's unique graduate leadership degree, offered on its most beautiful campus. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.